man yet? You still a boy? No, probably not. When do you become a man? What do you think? Uh-huh. A level of maturing, emotional and physical. And maturity actually looks a certain way too, doesn't it? So we tend to I'm not going to go too much further. What's another one? When do you become a man? What do you think, Derek? When do you become a man? Yeah. Yeah, you start to understand the, the uh, gravity of your decisions. And you, you begin, because that's actually, that's really close. That's really part of the bigger definition. That's good. What else? How about when you get married? Which might mean you got some trouble if you didn't get married till you're in your late 20s. Or if you're not married, just never became a man, huh? So we learned that wasn't it. What else? Anybody got another stab? Then we're moving on. Yeah. When you accept responsibility. Reactions, yeah. Yeah, those are all part of the big, big definition. Some of them, you know, they said when you, when you have sex. How's that? Hello. I don't think so. Not especially as the age has gone down. Huh? What else was one of the bad that bad excuse or bad reasons for becoming a man. When you turn 13, I think it was. When you get your driver's license. None of those things make you a man. Part of it is that when you accept responsibility. Part of it is, is when you come into the point of understanding your consequences. I love one of the definitions was when you live your life in, for somebody else. You begin to li- li- live your life for someone else. Then you become a man because you're not so interested in your own well-being you're thinking about others. We're going to go ahead and dismiss the children for children's ministry. So Papa Joe is back there, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pray over him. Let's go. Lord, thank you for our kids. Thank you, God, for, uh, for hearts full of wonder and awe. Thank you, God, that you will speak to them, that you'll uh, help them, you'll instruct them, that, God, you'll open up their minds to understand greater than their, their uh, years. And, God, we thank you for our teachers and the impartation that will happen this morning. By your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so guys, you got something you want to share about yesterday? It's part of our, uh, part of our time together, stepping up. Tidbits of wisdom for the rest of us who maybe you didn't make it here, and that's okay, we'll still share something. Go ahead. Let me get your mic. One, one of the things that I had uh, uh, written down was to, to choose responsibility over the comfort of just sitting back and letting somebody else take over. And, and that becomes a very uh, bad thing when, when I noticed over, over the videos of what the consequences of that could be. And we are to be the, the guard of our house, that we are to, to protect our family and not to be uh, letting things in. It shouldn't be, and that that could be with your computer, your TV, media, any any of that stuff. It's it's not just people. 
They're letting certain people in and out. Uh, and that we need to get out of our comfort zone and be courageous. Um, it, it's doing things uh, that you need to do that is right, despite the fear of failing. And that's one uh, one of the things that really stood out to me. And uh, they talked about um, being a person that people look back to in the future, saying this is how you should live and this is the way um, – in the same way that we look into the scriptures uh, of the Old Testament and the New Testament are those that we look to to see how we should be living. So I want—I learned that I, that's the kind of person I want to be, to, to uh, live my life in such a way that it honors God and it brings people to Christ, which is part of the Great Commission, and, and to be courageous, to step out on that ledge because God's got my back. And uh, despite the fears that... Um, He's greater in me, and it's not about me, it's about him. Amen. There was uh, somebody else. Want to come on up, guys? I like uh, the first speaker. You know what he started with? He said, men, and he, he was talking about a specific uh, chapter in First uh, Timothy 3, uh, 2, I think it is. But it says uh, the verse literally has in it, act like men. And he said, men act like men. Don't act like women. Do you get it? Women have gifts that God gave to women. That's not a knock on women. It's, it's that men aren't supposed to be women. You're not supposed to be whiny and sniveling, and you're not supposed to be this. Not that women are whiny or sniveling. It looks that way on a guy, and that was the example he brought up, is a guy who is supposed to be a pillar of strength. He's supposed to lead. He's supposed to be you know, the rock, he's supposed to be the one who takes on the challenges. You know, it's not time for you to hide when you heard the, the thunder and lightning. See what I mean? And so it talks about men need to be men. And we've got to stop raising sissies. And that means you've got to be present dads in their lives so that they don't become sissies. See? Or wimps or whatever you want. Guess what's coming out? A movie about wimps now. Hello, and there's going to be a celebrating of it, and it's going to be like, that's funny. It's not funny to be a wimp when you're made to be a man, when you're made to be somebody that rules over creation. And then he talked about it, by the way, women, about we're not supposed to be animals. And sometimes men act like animals in how we treat women, and that's not okay either. So just so you know, it didn't, it didn't you know, exalt men at the, at, at the you know, and forsake women in the process. See what I mean? It's not like this one won and this one loses. The idea of a real man, he, he treats his woman with dignity and respect and loves her like Christ loves the church. Go ahead, Jack. I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, it was a pretty good meeting uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, I got out of a uh, little bit. Of it. You thought I was sleeping back there, but I, I wasn't. Uh, what's it feel like to be a man? Uh, it's accepting biblical responsibilities, but not only that, carrying out those responsibilities. You follow through on it. Uh, love your woman, lead your woman, and develop her like the Bible would want you to. Treat her treat her. And uh, just a couple. 
<laughs> he, he writes like one thing on a page, so it's okay. <laughs> Check. Um, uh, the uh, where's it at now? Um, My wife says that all the time. <laughs> uh, take uh, take your lead as a man. Be the man that you are. Uh, in uh, religion, Christianity, uh, not just religion, uh, in your family, lead your family the way the Bible wants you to. And uh, and then uh, be the leader at work and your community, and, uh, and things will just all fit together. Then. That's about all I have to say. Amen. You know, he said the other thing that was cool is he talked about mentoring. And you actually quoted Bill Bright, who was uh, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, um, when he, he actually summed up those four things, religion, family, work, and community. And um, that, that went totally with the scripture that, that somebody shared about, you know, the, the four different elements of uh, responsibility that a man has. You remember them? There you go. Okay, go ahead. I got it on. Good. Uh, and uh, and in these four uh, different categories, uh, stepping out with courage, God's going to lead you, and he will reward you. Amen. Thank you, Jack. You want Joe? Okay. So here he says the role and responsibility of a man, right from Genesis 2, by the way. So Genesis 2 is where God tells them what they're supposed to do. He's made in, you know, his image and all those things. But he says, a will to obey, that we're supposed to do all these things. He says, it's all for you. And and he says, you can do all this, but you can't do that. He gave man a will to obey. The second was a woman to love, saw that we, we needed. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Brought a woman, a woman to love, a work to do. We were supposed to take care of the garden, if you will. And, and guess what? The curse comes later on. It'll be by the sweat of the brow that you'll bring forth fruit. But the ground was cursed after the sin, but before it, it wasn't. So it was really a matter of pleasure. How many of you take pleasure in your gardens? You, know, you love it. You delight in it. See, that's a redeemed aspect of, of our lives is we get that. We still have weeds, but in the original garden, they wouldn't have had weeds. The, the, the final one was a world to better, that that's what we're supposed to go out and reflect that image and carry it forth into the world and make, make the world a better place. That's what men, that's what part of what we have to do. And to be able to do that, the guy started out by talking about the fact that when you're a boy, you act like a boy and you got boy toys. But when you become a man, you have to give up those, those toys. It's time to get serious. It's time to take responsibility. It's time to lead. And I think, uh, anybody else have something you want to share from the time? If not, then I'm just going to wrap it up with this. That is, is that um, one of the fundamental big parts of the, of the whole day, um, taking responsibility, was uh, really part of the whole thing is, is the idea of courage, to be courageous and, and to not yield in the area and role, our responsibility, not to yield those things, not to give that away 
You know, we're the strong men. We're the ones who defend the household and keep the thief from coming in. See, that's a spiritual significant is that how can you do that unless you've got some training, unless you're discipled? And that leads to the biggest element was the mentoring aspect of what we men are supposed to do. Now, I wrote down on my own notes, you know what? Um, we're never, you, you should never go somewhere alone. Say, guys, call another guy. Call, 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 call somebody who's a, uh, 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 maybe that, that his mom is, is single and parenting and trying to deal with it. Marcy, call the boys and say, hey, I'm going to go do this, and, and how about the boys come with me for, for, for the day? Oh, they're going with their dad. That's cool. But if not, I'll take the boys. We're going to go to Lowe's, and they're building some little workbench thing, and I'll go nuts for that hour and a half, but it's okay. See what I mean? If you're going to go and go eat somewhere, don't go and eat by yourself. Call somebody and, and pick them up and take them along. You know, what's it going to cost you? A couple bucks, even if you feed them. You can agree up, up front to say, hey, we're going to Dutch treat. You know why spending time with them? Older or younger, doesn't matter. I could call, I could call on you and I could say, hey, here's the thing. I'm just, I'm just going to go and, and eat something. You'll say, hey, come on over and Aretta's going to make me some, she's making food. And I'll sit there and have fellowship with both. But at the same time, see, in that case, it's less about what I'm going to impart and, and more about what I'm going to receive. Because I'll receive wisdom and I'll receive instruction as we just talk about life stuff and you know, what'll happen is you'll share your life and it's something that I don't have. So I'll be a better, better person for it. Guys and gals, this works. The Bible actually tells us that the old men and the old women are supposed to be doing this to the younger women and the younger women should be seeking it out amongst the older women. Guess why? That's why, because we, we, all we know is what we know. We're limited and we're finite. And it's the reason we want to share our lives with other people. That means both the giving and the receiving. Amen. So the mentoring part of the, the uh, thing was to come alongside and get a hold of. For example, if you know somebody's like, like sometimes Jay is between jobs and he may not have any work. Guess what? Give him a call. There's a good shot of that. There's some people who have retired. And so they, they work some part time, but they don't always work. So give him a call and just say, hey, um, just want to see if you want to get together. Get together sometime, but don't just say that. Make a date. Go ahead and, and do it, see? But that's what we need to begin to do is, is that you have a whole other life that you live that I don't know about. And somehow, as I engage you, I'll, get, I'll be a better person because of what you can impart to me. And there might be some splash over and you might get something good out of, out of my life. I hope. Guess what it does? It makes you a good person. It makes you bigger than what you would be without those kinds of relationships and without that kind of, you know, there's a level of submission to that. You know why? Because you got to shut up and let the other person talk. See, that's submission. You got to be able to say, hey, what's important with your life? I don't even know you, but you're a handsome guy and you're holding a baby and I like you already. There's something about your life and struggles and the things that you've gone through and your dreams and hopes that that's important. It matters. And the world doesn't make you feel like that, do they? The general world doesn't give a rip about what's going on in your life. That's just the way it works. They, they've got their own thing and their tunnel vision. That's where the church gets to come alive because all of a sudden, God's concerned about not just the sparrows of the air, right? So.
That's good. And, and you know what else he said is um, Joel did these notes. Joel's an amazing note taker if, you if you've never been around him. So these are all, this is, uh, I've got a, a few copies of it. Um, even if you weren't able to be there, you can glean off of these notes and you'll be better <laughs> for it. And so, uh, wives, um, you would want, moms, you would want your sons, you would want your husbands to have this information. Not just to have it, but to read it. So if, uh, if you know that you'd like that, the first one was called A Man's Charge. The second one was A Man's Character to Live Above Reproach. Um, Remember what he said about what reproach was? Nobody can put their hooks in you. Can't pull you down. There's nothing there. A man's challenge is to accept responsibility. And then the last one, a man's commission is help men become men. Help boys to become men. So if you want one of those, I've just made a few extra copies here, and you can, uh, you're can you welcome to pick one up uh, after church. All right? Anything else? Thank you, Jesus. We're just pausing for a second. Thank you, Jesus. Guess what the preacher does when he pauses? Yeah, we're asking God, what are you saying next? Because I feel a moment like that, so I want to I want to just give that opportunity, okay? Thank you, Jesus. What, uh, what I want to do is I want to make this as quickly as we can, but here's what I want to do. Um, I, I feel really a great burden all of a sudden for the fatherless. Uh, we're talking about it, and so uh, we need to take action on that point right there. So if you're uh, young or old, uh, you know, in my case, my papa passed on, you know, 1987, so it's been a lot of years. I'm not fatherless. Um, I have a father. But here's the deal. Some of you are fatherless because you, you do have empty homes and the fathers have abandoned their role and, and not filling that. And if you're a papa who's walked away, but, but you've, you've asked God for forgiveness because you came to the point where you recognize how wrong that was, how you treated your family. So I just want to spend that minute here and, uh, and respond to that. Would you be willing just, uh, we need to know about who you are so that we can, we can serve you and we can, uh, we can, come alongside you. And um, it's an awesome responsibility to be a mentor or to be a father or to be a father figure. But some of us need that in our lives in a greater way. And if you know that when I'm saying this, you know that's you, would you just be willing to lift your hand? We'll treat you gentle, but I would like us to pray for you. Anybody? Fatherless. Guys or gals, doesn't matter. Anyone? Because somebody's in here, because I don't get these impulses. I don't act on this stuff all the time. I do it because I feel like there's some specific reason. So just go ahead, and I know it's, it's a weird thing maybe, but. That's okay, because you've got a hole in your heart is what it leaves us with. It leaves us with this tremendous void and a longing and a yearning that I wish that this would have been there because you, you have a sense of that because you see it 
in other people. You see it in, in, in other relationships, and, and it's something that, you know, in the end, it causes us to become bitter. It causes us to, because I, I didn't have that. See what I mean? And so that's what we want to, that's good. We're, that's what we're doing. What else? Someone else. Right back here. See, they, they, you know what I'm talking about this morning. That probably expresses it, the void that you have in your life, and, and it, it can turn to something that's poisonous. See, it can poison everything else in you because it's what I've wanted, and there's this, this, this thing now, this envy that comes upon me, and there's, it, they call it a bitter root judgment that can come forward because you say, I'll never be like this, and I'll never this, and I'll... That's not a good decision when you make it out of bitterness, when you make it out of a point of, of unforgiveness, say, from anger. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. And some of you are here, and I know it, and I know that's exactly what you need, and you need some papas in the faith to come alongside and put their arm around you and, and to, to walk with you. And some of us are older than we'd like to admit. We could still use some of that. So how about doing this for me? We'll, uh, we'll do the OIs closed, and uh, mine are closed too. And I'm just going to have you put your hands out in front of you, not up. Just put them out front so as to receive. Because I believe that even as we're being led into that, that God wants to cultivate that in, in the body of Christ, in the church, is that we recognize and we don't just go by and say, oh, how, how, how are the boys, Mars? And not wait for the answer and not really receive a burden. Yep, dad checked out. He had a lot going on. I don't hold it against him. I'm not mad at him. Truth is, I, I want him. I wish he was there, and now it's too late. In some cases, too late. So, Lord, thank you that you're the father to the fatherless. And, God, I pray that you're going to help us to get the burden, your burden, for young men and young women, for those who have been fatherless. Now, I know sometimes moms wig out and run and do all kinds of weirdness, but God, uh, what you put on my heart is the role of the man, the role of the father. And so, God, in, in our group here today, we have uh, different, different places about abandonment, about issues of anger, disappointment. So we want to be able to bring that to our perfect Papa in heaven. And God, sometimes that has made us, it's made it very hard to see you or call you Father or call, see you as, as Daddy or see you as Papa because of the pain in our hearts here toward our earthly fathers. So I pray for the, the fresh cleansing and washing and renewing by your Holy Spirit over our minds and our hearts. And Father, I pray that you'll come and fill that cavity. That you'll come and heal hearts. And God, if there's an opportunity for reconciliation, that you'll help us to reconcile. You'll help us to have those difficult decisions between dads and daughters and daughters and dads and sons and fathers, fathers and sons. According to your word, which said that God, that you'll turn the hearts of the children back to the parents and the parents back to the children. I pray, that God, that we're going to begin to see that and we'll become emissaries. We'll become uh, those who will stand in the gap, 
men and women of faith who will become imparters of life, imparters of wisdom, imparters of truth, will be part of the steering committee in, in their lives. I pray, Father, that you'll help us that we never seek to go it alone. I pray, God, you're healing right now. Thank you for the moment. Thank you, God, for the prompting. I lift up every heavy heart, every expectation, every disappointment, and ask for you to redeem our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, sometimes I just wish that uh, I would have caught a little bit more of my father's wisdom before I did. Because I, I, I did pretty good because Papa was big in my eyes, you know. But um, I just think that there were times where I felt, you know, you, you do feel like your parents are the enemy sometimes. You feel like they're just out to, you know, um, make it hard on you. To, to make it to where they're not happy, nobody's going to be happy. So you feel like they're somehow the, the bad guys, and they're not. Been there, done that. With my dad, a lot of problems, a lot of complications there with uh, someone who's, he was a, uh, an alcoholic and in and out of treatment programs and processes and a lot of fighting and arguing in home. But I don't know, God helped me to see beyond all that stuff. And um, that is redemption, to be able to see beyond what, uh, what you hear. See what I mean? Beyond what, uh, what we would take in normally. Well, we're talking about the omnipresence of God, part of his, the, the, the attributes of God. And um, so we've been talking about it. The series is called The Greatness of God. How many of you need the greatness of God? Huh? Yeah. Some of us are aware of it more than others simply because we've come to certain places in our lives where how we've been operating hasn't been sufficient. It, it's not, it's not, we're not doing so good. And so as a result of that, you know, we need God to, to be bigger than what we've allowed him to be um, before. Amen? So as we're talking about his omnipresence, there's a couple of passages that I want to be able to give to you and know that it's, it's a vast, I mean, whole books have been written on this subject. Um, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. I'm going to try to spend time in the scripture itself and a couple of things that I feel like God has, has given us. One of the things is about his omnipresence. On the bottom of your bulletin, on the sermon note page, I put another quote by, by um, A.W. Tozer, who wrote about the attributes of God. Um, it says that the doctrine, this is the bottom paragraph, says the doctrine of the divine omnipresence personalizes man's relation to the universe in which he finds himself. This great central truth gives meaning to all truths and imparts supreme value to all his little life. God is present near him, next to him, and this God sees him and knows him through, and supposed to say through, through and through. So what happens is we all have different Bible verses that might come to mind when you think about the presence of God. One is on your bulletin cover, by the way, uh, abiding in, in the vine that he is the vine and, and we're the branches. And so that talks about the, the vine that is going to bear fruit or the branch that's going to bear fruit is going to be because you're tapped into the vine. 
But if you separate from the vine, you dry up and then you're cast over onto a fire. You lose your purpose, see? You lose your value. You will have no fruit. So the idea there is the abiding. Abiding in what? The abiding in him. What does that mean? That's called presence. See, to abide in his presence. You know how you can abide in his presence in a tangible way? When you engage him. You can engage him in, in, in the Bible. You can engage him when you read, see? Because it's talking about him. He's written it so you and I can know him, see? And so one of the ways is reading the Bible. And you can read it and you can say that's historical and that's fine. Um, there actually, we can give you information that will show you. There's a Bible bookmark out in the, it's actually on the little refrigerator in the cafe. And it's broken down, the Bible is broken down by the, different types of literature, if you will. So it has poetry in there. It has prophetic books in there. It has in there, um, within that, it, it also talks about um, the uh, Old Testament, the New Testament. And as it breaks it down, it tells you that these are historical books and these are prophetic books and these are uh, poetry or wisdom literature. And so it's, you can gain all that kind of stuff. If you're looking for a specific thing, you can go to one of the books. If you want to read about historical things, you can go to the historical books. If you want to read about wisdom, you can go to the wisdom books. If you want to read about a different aspect, see, it'll help you just to say, I don't know what's in all of them, but I know that with this little guide, I can go into those areas that would impact my life and mean the most to me right off the bat. See? So that's a great way, for example, to engage God is reading the Bible. The next way is going to be by prayer. Because he gives us a door open in heaven, the Bible says, that you, he gives you access. How many know that? I've got a welcome mat on my, front, on my front step. It doesn't mean that you just walk in my house. See? My welcome mat is, is right below a doorbell. See what I mean? I expect you to ring the doorbell before you come in my house because you might get shocked. I won't say anything else. I'll just tell you. you don't, that's my domain. I believe in the original creation. So, you have to read Genesis 3 to know, or 2 to know about that. Here's the deal. God says, I put the welcome mat out for you, and you have access 24-7, 365. You always can come into his presence. See? So, one of the ways we do that is through prayer, by dialogue with God. That's what prayer is, talking with God. So, however you talk, talk with God. You know, if you talk like to talk with God, yo, God. See what I mean? You can talk with him however you talk. Just talk. You don't have to get spirit. Oh, most heavenly father. See what I mean? Just talk. He says, I gave you. No, that's not what I gave you. That's what you made it. I gave you that. Talk. So share with him. Make it two-way communication. So you shut up every now and then and listen. And what you'll find is you'll find that God speaks. Don't just ask him to to. to Talk about your dilemmas. How about just coming and saying, well, God, I want to know you better. I want to know, because the preacher sometimes, he talks like you're, you're, you're a real guy. You know, he makes you sound like you really care. He makes you sound like, you know, I can have this, this, this relationship with you. Bigger than any relationship here on earth. Better than the best of the best. And so, God, if that's true, then I want that. Would you, would you do that for me? Would you help me to know you and to see you? Would you help me to experience that kind of faith? 
That, that was quick. He answered. He said, yes, I will. Guess why? You don't have to guess if that's his will or not. That's exactly what he wants. He wants you to know him. So, knowing him means part of his presence. Let's go ahead and put James 4 up on the wall. James 4, verses 8, it says this, Come close to God, or another version says, Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you, or come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Do you see what the natural enemy then becomes of our relationship with God? Is what? The world. See, we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. So one of the first things that happens is he talks about this idea that he gives you and me, every person, he gives us an invitation to draw near. Well, I can't think of a better illustration than a baby, especially when you're burping, because it puts them right up here, or when you're feeding. Okay, mama? That's the draw near, the nearness of God. Come to me, and, and I'll give you nutrition. I'll nourish you and feed you and care for you and tend for you. That's why he gives us the illustration of the shepherd. So here it is. He says, draw near to me, see, and I will draw near to you. See, the truth is he's, all, he's right there. When, when, we, we, when we don't know about the presence of God, it's not that he's left us, see? Part of his essential presence is he's in here even when nobody else is in here. Did you know that? You didn't bring God this morning. Huh? You came here to meet, meet with him? collectively, but the truth is, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then he's in you. He's alive and well, and you just, you may not be aware of it. Maybe you never heard the preacher talk about that. It's about the idea that in you, see, we're all children of God, but we're not all sons and daughters. See, because we're all created, we're his idea. He's the one who says, okay, it's time for them. You're here by divine appointment. You're on assignment. You're on a mission. You were born for such a time as this or whenever it comes in in the near future. You've been born with a purpose. Guess why? Because he wants you to be a carrier, a vessel to carry his presence. And you carry that presence with you everywhere. See? Oh, I used to have a real tough time sometimes with the idea that what if I was in a bad place? Did I take God into that bad place with me? The bar, committing adultery, stealing. Was he in those places? His essential character demands that he is. What happens, though, is that he's hidden from us because of sin. That's what that says, purify yourselves, sinners. Why? Because sin is what separates us from God. That's what did it from the very beginning. It always will. The world has become a place of sin. So he says, be in the world, but not of the world. It says here, the doctrine of the divine omnipresence personalizes man's relation to the universe in which he finds himself. See, God sees him and knows him through and through. The idea is the, the scripture Bible is full of the evidence of the presence of God. So I think it's, it's important for us to have a good understanding of what that is. Foundations of Pentecostal theology, it's called. It says that 
He says that in the end, the presence of God is in his church in a special way through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why you hear us talking about the Holy Spirit. We keep asking because why? God is creator, son is redeemer, Holy Spirit is who he said that he will be with us now and abide in us from right up until the day of Jesus Christ, till the return, till that time when this life is over for us. He's the fuel for our Christian life. So the presence of God comes especially in the person. Says that, he says that, that he'll dwell with us and he'll dwell with us through the Holy Spirit. So when you talk about the, the presence of God, think about, here's Jeremiah 29, 11. This is Old Testament. Now here's the key. Jeremiah was the prophet who is telling Israel that because of their sin, see, they were going to be taken out of their promised land and they were going to be dispersed abroad and other men will rule over them, other peoples. And now all their land will become perverted. And Jeremiah spent 29 chapters, 28 chapters, telling that this is what's going to happen unless the people do this. Guess what? The people weren't willing to change. So, so then here it comes and, and says you're going to be in captivity for 70 stinking years. For you and I, that, that's mostly the lifespan. So he says, for 70 years, you're going to be this. And in Jeremiah, when he says this, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Here's the problem. In the context of that, it says, but you're taking us out of our homeland. We're going to be, with, we're going to be separated from our families. We're going to be ruled by, by wicked rulers, by our enemies. What do you mean a future and a hope? What is that? Do you get it? He gives them a, 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 a great word in the midst of a terrible situation. And it ain't going to get better anytime soon. Seventy years. In those days when you pray, I will listen, he says. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Or another version says, if you search for me with everything you got. Remember, that was a part of the blessing of Deuteronomy. Is that he wants us that we would serve him, that we'll love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Wow. I will... Do this again. I will bring you back. Does he really want him coming back to a land? You know what he's really saying? I will bring you back into proper relationship with myself. I am your abode. I am your house. I will be your strong tower. You have rejected my presence. But I want you to come back to my presence once again. See, the ultimate inheritance for us, it's not... It's not it's not cars and property, and it's not a matter of possessions of any type. Our greatest possession is his presence, his fellowship. See, that's what he really is after. In the end, some of us could be called, how many of you are loners? You know you're a loner. Really? How do you like that? Because, see, I know all of you, and, and you're here this morning, so that says you like loner, lonerism only to a little bit. Because you also like companionship. You also like some friends. You like to get out there. You just, the problem is, is for some of us who are 
like that. You do better. Sometimes you like your solace. You like your peace. You like your own situation. That, That can be good, but sometimes that can be because we've been mistreated. We've been beat up. We've been beat down. That's the way the world does it. That's why the church exists, because we're supposed to connect the pieces. That's all these hearts and lives. So I'm glad all of you are here this morning. And I want to tell you that you may see yourself as a loner, but I'm going to tell you that that's not really who God made you. That's okay to come away. It's okay to seek peace. But I'm going to tell you that he, and he made you for what you're here for today, to be connected with one another, because you become bigger than yourselves. That's part of the way life is supposed to be. We're supposed to draw near to God. We draw near to God. We draw near to one another because that's unity. We know Psalm 133 says something about unity, don't we? It's good and pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. Let's look at, um, I'm going to skip over that one and go right to Genesis. I want you to catch catch this key principle. In Genesis chapter 1, there's something that, um, what I love about the Bible that, that, expresses it like no science book or history book or any other book does. It really says it in a nutshell. It tells us about creation itself. See what happened? The world and science and technology and everything else that, uh, that we, we try to come up with, it, it hasn't actually been able to resolve this, this fundamental issue that the Bible resolves so, uh, so readily and so easily. You know what it is? In the beginning, God. How cool is that? You want to you understand life? You want to understand uh, these details about life? In the beginning, God. See? Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Get it? Earth was formless and void, and God is right there. Spirit of God moving over that which was formless and void. In the midst of the darkness, there he is. See? Formless and void, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. How could he create light? Because he is light. He says... I am the light of the world. It says in the book of Revelation that when it's all said and done, when we come to the end, when when it's all over, it says there's going to be no need for sun or moon in heaven because he himself will will illuminate. See? How wonderful is that? So guess what? In that place, it's not the, the light that gives some evidence that God is present or it's not present. The truth is, he is. See, he's present. I love uh, another connection that I want to make here shortly from, from this one, but that is, is this. In Psalm 121, it's one of the easiest ones you could, you could ever possibly memorize. In Psalm 121, go there and turn there. I don't know that we're going to put it up on the wall. have to get past that longest one, Psalm 119. Here's what the the psalmist says. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from whence shall my help come. Or from where does it come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, 
He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Wow. Bible tells us we can draw near to him. It tells us that we have his presence. I love what it says in in Hebrews chapter 12. It actually talks about the idea that he says in, in Christ now, it's not that we've come to this mountain that's unapproachable, that he set boundaries around and fences. If this church had a fence around it, I'd probably... I'd probably want, I wouldn't probably either be the pastor or I'd want to take the fence down. That'd be one of my first things. Do you know what a fence, fence says? A fence says stay out, doesn't it? Oh, I know. Well, you don't understand vandalism. Oh, yes, I do. Church ought to be open, accessible. That's the way God is. So, I know there's churches, I've seen them. I know one specific is in my head now. I'm just not going to say a whole lot about it, but I'm just telling you, fences aren't good. We talked about because people come out here. How many of you have done donuts in our parking lot here? Anybody in the room? We've had kids who come out and do part. We just finished doing the thing, and guess what? Different ones, wise people have said, hey, we should put up a, some sort of rope fence and, and protect it and keep the kids from doing donuts here. Could. I just don't like the message that it sends. I'd rather have them doing donuts here and, and being able to, to say, hey, they, they might tell somebody about the church here. Like they're friends. Yeah, I was up there doing donuts at that church. There's a church up there? Yeah. Maybe they'll come here someday. You know what that is? That doesn't mean anything. It's going to go off in five more minutes. Okay, here it is. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's, it's usually the verse that's used to bash homosexuals, okay? It's how we begin to move into that. Bad attitude, wrong idea. How about sticking to what it really says? You know what it really says? It says that God who created everything, here it is, ever since the world was created, when was the world created? Genesis chapter 1. Before there was anything, when it was firm, formless and void. Created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. Wow, that sounds like that oxymoron, right? Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. I don't care if this is your first time ever coming to church. God has manifested himself and shown his presence in everything that he's created. That's what it says. You've known the presence of God by the fact that we're not somewhere like Mars or the moon, which is still, let's call it, though not formless, it is void. Oh, they might detect some ice up there. I don't know. All I know is he stuck humans right here because this is paradise. This is what he created for us. Gave us a perfect setting where human life and every other form of life can can dwell. Man hasn't yet. I don't know if he will. We haven't yet found any place else quite like this. See? It's pretty amazing. God shows himself and shows his very presence by everything that he's created. 
Folks, if you'll have his eyes to see, you'll begin to know how wonderful and amazing each and every life in here is, how valuable you are and how important you are. And there's something that is, is priceless about your life. Do you know that? There's something priceless about your life because he created you and you're here for a purpose. And I don't care how vile you are and how wicked you are and how full of sin you are. You've got a purpose in him and you just haven't discovered it. And so it's part of my job and part of our job as a church to reveal the grace of God to those who have been lost and those who have been blind and those who have not seen his glory so as to want to come into the light. Because that's what he does. He's he's there and it's formless and void. And that explains a lot about our lives, doesn't it? Without Christ. Going nowhere, groping in the dark. And then, boom, he turns the light on. He said it. Genesis 1, Romans chapter 1, Psalm 121. He talks about creation. Why? Because he says, I want to I just, I want to come down. I want a playground. I want a playground. I want to come down there and have fun with my kids. That's what he said he wanted to do. He loves to sit with you. He loves to hang out with you. He wants you to welcome him and know him on the most base simple level you could possibly know. Just like holding that little baby over there. Innocence. What's a child do to deserve that? Just cuteness. Do you know that's how God sees you? Through the lens of Jesus Christ, through the cross, he sees you with sweetness. You're the apple of his eye. Wow. He can't, he can't, he can't resist the idea that he gets to come in and have fellowship with you and me. That's the presence of God. His omnipresence means he's always everywhere, all at the same time. He's never nowhere. He's always everywhere. In the midst, he's just waiting there to defend. He's waiting there to reveal. He's waiting there to what? Raise up. He's waiting there to reveal himself through you sometimes. All right. He reveals himself. He avails himself. How many know that if you call on him, when you seek him, as we read there from, from the, uh, the scripture, that you'll find him from Jeremiah. He never slumbers or sleeps is what Psalm 121 says. He's always awake. Never worry about him falling asleep on you, falling asleep on the job. He may hide from us. See? But he wants to reveal himself to us. You know what else he does? He hides us. You know what that is? He gives us his garments. He gives us his righteousness. So that what now is revealed isn't our pukeo selves. It's his righteousness and his glory. That's what he does for us. There it is again. I told you it was coming. All right. This is my second closing now then. We'll finish. Genesis chapter 1 says he's present in the dark. Don't you love that? I can remember when I was a little boy and afraid of the dark. (laughs) I wish mama would have told me, Jesus is with you. She didn't tell me that. She might have told me something else. I think she told me that I better go to sleep or I'm going to have to kneel or something now. Psalm 139. Uh, You know I love Psalm 139. Guess what it says? 
in essence, it says the light and darkness are the same to him. Here it is. Where can I go from your spirit? It's verse 7. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Wow. Darkness and light are alike to him. Guess what? God's not afraid of the dark. He's not afraid of the dark in your lives. He knows every detail about your lives. He knows the words that that you're going to speak before you ever speak them. He overwhelms the dark. He watches. He's watching over his word to perform it. He sees everything that we do. He hears. He rules. He's coming back to prove it once and for all. By the Holy Spirit, he instructs us and he comforts us. That's a passage out of John chapter 15. Do we have that verse? John 15 talks about uh, if we abide with him, that he abides in us. The truth is, that's an invitation that he says for us, as you invite me in and then I'll abide with you, then guess what? He puts the onus on us that then we have to choose to abide with him. There's certain ways that we abide with him. One of them is doing what he tells us to do. It's kind of like the guy said yesterday, when you're the head of the household and you set the rules of the household and kids either abide by them or they're out. End of story. Wow. No grace. They knew the rules. Didn't sound very kind, but that's the way it works. What did he tell us when Jesus says, he says, here's a, here's a link for us. Some of you know this already. I'm not telling you something you don't know. He says it's, it's imperative that I go away because when I go away, I send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he'll lead and guide you. He'll give you instruction. He'll be your counsel. He'll comfort you. See, he says that I'm going to go, that you'll get this. And then he says when he's ready to go, he says, now you stay, hang out till you receive Power from on high, the Holy Spirit. And then after that, when the Holy Spirit, they obeyed him, when they hung out and they were waiting to be filled with the Holy Spirit, boy, did that look goofy. They actually thought that they were drunk. See, that's what the Bible says. You know what? Sometimes Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, churches who want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, some people look at that like they're some sort of weirdos and whacked out, and sometimes they are. But here's the reality is that's exactly what the Bible says we need. doesn't say how we manifest it. It says this is what you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that might look sometimes weird. But, folks, it's one of the things we have to begin to embrace to be able to experience what he said he wanted to give us. And these little fire, these little tongues of fire appearing over all over the place and people speaking as if they were drunk. And they were hearing him in all their different languages. I'm talking right about Acts chapter 1 and 2. But he said, go and wait until you're endued. Given this power. And what was that going to be? His presence. He said, I want to make myself known even greater. Greater works than these will you do. Why? Because you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, greater works. How is that going to happen? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
folks, as we leave today, as we finish here, that's what I want you to just do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to come. We're not, I'm not doing no altar call. You do it right there with you. Guess why? Because he can do that. He can come in, in, in right there, but he won't, he won't overpower you. He won't make it to where you just get, get something happen to you. It'll be that you ask him and he'll come as a gentleman. And what he'll do is he'll fill you because he knows what you need. And you need the Holy Spirit more than you need anything else or anyone else. Ready? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you've given us your Holy Spirit as your abiding presence. That, God, you said for, 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 uh, for us to receive the Holy Spirit. So, God, I want us to receive your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray for us knowing and acknowledging that some of us, we think we have the Holy Spirit. We believe we've, uh, we've got it. We just don't do it like that, whatever that means. So, God, we're confused and we're, we're falling short because, God, we haven't fully embraced because we're, we're afraid, because others have made us afraid. And, God, because it, it seems like nothing happened when I've, when I've prayed this prayer before, when I've done this thing before, nothing happened. I'm not sure I want all that strangeness and weirdness. Well, God, I just ask you to come in and be sovereign in this area of our lives, to be able to say, God, that uh, you want to, to, to be able to move without restriction without boundary. You don't recognize the box. You will not fit in what we've tried to to put you in. So God, I pray for us that we'll know your presence, that we'll know your presence greater than anything we've ever known. God, however you want to do it, whatever you want to do, taking, uh, giving you full reign, giving you, God, permission to have your way, to do your work right here in, in our lives, in my life, in your church, God. I pray, God, that we're going to know. If you have to do goosebumps and the hair on the back of the head, stand up, whatever you got to do, God, I agree with that. I just want, to, I want it to be that you begin to reveal yourself, that we'll see you even in creation. We'll see you in, in our children. We'll see you in the lives of other people. We'll see you as we read your word. We'll, 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 we'll know you as we pray. God, we need you. We want you. And Father, I know that when we say that, we echo your voice from heaven. How much you want us, you desire us, that you love us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.